This is the Never Not Creative Podcast. I'm Andy Wright. And I'm Sarah Nguyen. And we're here on uh, well, a smoke-free day today, which is a nice, oh, I don't nice know. change. Oh. I got my air quality alert yesterday. It's going gonna, it's gonna to get hazy it's gonna again. It's going to ramp up. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's a shame. Sorry. Um, well, we're sat in the office with Sean Hall. Good morning. Sean. So Sean is a member of our Mentally Healthy Change Group. Um, obviously that's the most important thing that he does, uh, but he, he also uh, runs his own business, is a big ambassador for mental health and well-being, and so it was a no-brainer to have him on the podcast, so welcome. Thanks for having me. Let's start with a little bit about you, because you've been on quite a journey, mm-hmm. and we met along that journey, in fact, uh, so it'd be great for you to kind of expose all of yourself to everybody, which is perfectly safe on a podcast because there's no it images. Is. Yeah, <laughs> just for us. Use your imagination. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what are you wearing right now? Okay. Uh, so, yeah, a bit about me. So, I guess uh, I sort of say that I'm on my fifth career right now, which is a combination of everything that's come before that. Uh, I had, I guess, my biggest corporate jobs were at Telstra. Was head of brand strategy and marketing there, running a $9 billion brand, and that's obviously where we met as well. Um, uh, and I was responsible for the transformation of that brand. Uh, and the second big job there I had was uh, in the HR team. I was head of employee experience, so designing culture strategy for about 40,000 employees. Um, and while I was there, even though I loved my job a lot, I had some, some amazing opportunities, I burnt out twice. Uh, the first time was actually just before we launched the brand. I'd been working some pretty crazy hours, um, leave work at 2 a.m., back at 6 type stuff. Uh, And it all sort of reached a point where I found myself one day uh, and David Jones sort of wandering around there not knowing how I got there. Um, And I think back to that time and realized that I was probably really on the verge of a nervous breakdown, just really not looking after myself. and the, so the irony in that too is my first career was actually in the fitness industry. So I knew a lot about the physical side of well-being, um, but I didn't know how I was making these other decisions that were ultimately affecting how I turned up. Uh, and it was really that experience that led me to think about, you know, what don't I know? You know, what do I need to know? How can I take more responsibility for myself? Because I actually really loved my job um, as a marketer. There's not many opportunities you get to change a brand that literally touches pretty much every person in the nation. Uh, and so I wanted to do my very best work and I just sort of love my job too much in a way. And I'd say that what contributes to that is I was a perfectionist, I was a yes guy, and I didn't really know how to ask for help. Because, I mean, we had a few meetings during that time and you wouldn't know that you were struggling. I mean, you could definitely see that Sean was running around and here, there, and everywhere, uh, but you wouldn't necessarily pick out that someone's really struggling. In fact, mm. if anything, sometimes it's like, oh, geez, yeah, I wish I could be like that person that mm. had all that energy. Yeah, I think um, it's the same as, you know, how they talk about, say, with um, addicts, I think it's like you're high-functioning mm. in yeah. some way, right? You're just dealing with this, and because you're just basically living on adrenaline, um, you know, you just you, you 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 almost tell yourself that you're okay as well. 
Oh, yeah, it works to a point, right? It's survival mode. There's got to be something physical and primal about, okay, I just need to get this done. I'm going to do it, do it, do it. And mm-hmm. then, but that is a limited, that, that only works for a limited amount of time before it actually, if it's consistent. Yeah, totally. It takes and, you down. And it took, I think it was about six months till I got to this point where I, had, I found myself and David Jones. And uh, I then just started to make little decisions after that, really, to sort of get myself back on track. Um, I realized that I hadn't, you know, hadn't been giving any time to sort of the physical aspects. Um, obviously, wasn't sleeping enough. Uh, I wasn't seeing any of my friends or family because it's just all work, work, work that that whole time. Uh, I I would say there were moments that you you wouldn't have seen um, where I know that especially my emotionally I wasn't at my best uh, because say with my team the way that I might react you know, to certain things and stuff like that, that I would be sort of a short, you know, mm. grumpy or whatever, which is not really in character for me. Um, and so my ability to sort of regulate those emotions was definitely was getting affected there as well. And you partied hard around that time as well. As well. <laughs> <laughs> That's the irony, right, is that you go, I think you are, um, you're working so hard that you think I deserve, yeah. you know, an escape in some ways. And so, yeah. You know, you go out on the weekend and you just hit a nightclub and, you know, and then it's like, that's the worst possible thing you can do because then you don't get enough sleep again and it just sort of adds on to those sorts of stuff as well. So, Thanks you left. That. Oh. <laughs> I thought I, I saw your, uh, the cogs moving there. So, oh, what does Andy know about my. <laughs> I don't have anything. It's I, okay. Yeah, I used to be a little bit of a party boy these days, not so much. <laughs> so, you're, you you left, uh, had some time out, and then started something new. Mm. Which is that a, is that a reaction to everything that you went through in the previous role? Definitely, I think that there was still a process of experimentation about what I wanted to do next. So when I uh, left Telstra um, after that seven and a half years, I actually had a process of actually trying to detach myself because it was actually such a huge part of my identity and I was like, people knew me as Mr. Telstra um, and I was like, okay, what am I now, you know? um, And my first experiment actually was my first uh, business and startup, which was called DiversityX, which was a coaching platform to help people with disabilities get jobs. Uh, And because I was on, I was leading disability on the diversity council um, at Telstra and in my HR role, it was those stories about disabled employees that actually had impacted me personally mm-hmm. the most mm-hmm. in terms of how shitty an experience that was often. Um, and uh, and so I wanted to do something about that. Um, that I spent a year trying to make that work uh, and that failed ultimately. Um, and when it came back to it, the reasons that I sort of when I sat back and went, okay, why didn't this work? Um, Essentially, I identified two deficits. Um, The first was an empathy deficit. So I I literally spoke to all the big brands that you can think of, and they all said, yes, yes, we want to support this, and then nothing would happen. And I realized there are a lot of sympathetic people, um, but empathy actually drives action. Like, you have to feel that there's almost a sense of injustice, in a way, that you want to um, and that takes energy, you know, and that was the second part. And I just thought, well, 
you know, when I was asking people to, to help a person with a disability, basically what I was saying is, can you help me change this person's life? And that's a lot to ask people. Um, and most of us just don't have enough gas in the tank for ourselves, let alone having a little bit of extra to help other people. Um, and so when I realized that, I went, oh, actually, I know how to energize people. I've been doing it since I was an 18-year-old lycra clad aerobics <laughs> instructor. But then also through my career, everything's been about transformation. You're taking um, brands, cultures, businesses from one place to a better place. Um, and so I felt that I knew how to do that and I'd done it for myself. Um, and so I ended up launching Energy X about four, just four weeks later after deciding that Diversity X wasn't going to work. Um, tell us about your research with young bloods. Um, Andy mentioned some box pops that you've been doing. Yeah, so um, I, this is actually an idea that and I think Andy and I came up with, we were sort of referring on things where, um, uh, how do we get people to understand, I guess, the impact that these rates, I guess, of depression and anxiety are having in terms of people when they're considering their careers? Right, because there are certain careers right now where you are seeing higher incidences of, of, of depression and anxiety or burnout. Uh, and therefore that needs to be a part of that decision-making process. Uh, and this is very much off the back of the mentally healthy results. Um, yes. And we were like, oh, I wonder, you know, if we was literally sat in a room, I think, and also you were talking to University of Sydney at the mm. time and going, is if you don't sort this out, we could actually just come out and say, don't get into marketing and creative because this is what will happen to you. Yeah. And, yeah. and so that was like, oh, let's try and understand what these people entering the industry or in the early stages of the careers think to the results that we've just found out. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that was sort of part of this whole journey that we've had in terms of a mentally healthy change group as well is trying to communicate at a C-suite level around the business case for why this is important and the risks that are associated with that because we already know the why like we already know that it's a, the right thing to do necessarily but how do you actually start to move that up the priority list and it's still a continual process of of, of iteration in the way that even i've started to build with my business like i'm i'm a brand guy like i'm not i'm not a cfo like and I've had to learn how to speak that language. And that's that's been a big part of, and a big challenge for me as well to think that way. And it's sort of the role that I've taken on in terms of the Mentally Healthy Change Group is because I'm the, the person that's out there sort of having these conversations with my clients all the time. It's like, how do we elevate this essentially and really say, you know, this is what it's costing. So you were in Sydney at a Youngbloods event mm. and you're pointing a camera and a microphone at their face yeah. and asking them, hey, did you know? Yes. What, what sort of responses did you did you get? Well, we, we asked them three questions. We said, why did you choose this industry in the first place? Right. And you got all of those amazing moments when you think about why we chose it. Right. And still the reason why I feel stay connected to the industry. I'm also amazed that people still join the industry to make TV ads or because they've, <laughs> or because they've watched Mad Men. Yeah. <laughs> Mad Men doesn't paint a fantastic picture yeah. on, on what uh, it's like. I, I think from the Young Bloods, it was less about Mad Men, but like, you know, there was, there was definitely a theme that was coming through in terms of people wanting to have impact, yeah. you know, and then wanting to work for 
brands, because I think they have already seen that actually, you know, we can't rely on our governments, obviously, um, that we actually need to work and support businesses that actually care about these issues. Um, and that really was a theme that came through in people's ability to, to bring their creative superpowers to that. Uh, and so that was really, that was great, right? It just reminded me of all the reasons why I spent like six months camped outside Saatchi and Saatchi in Sydney until they gave me a job, right? <laughs> um, and so I think that that was really cool. Then the second question we said to them was, you know, understanding that we've got 56% of people experiencing multi-severe symptoms of depression, 55% for anxiety. If you had known that as you were making a decision about what career you're going to choose, would that have impacted that? And nine out of 10 of those people said, absolutely. You know, there were a couple in there that said, you know, it would have taken longer, but there were definitely people that said, no, I would have chosen something different. Uh, and, you know, the story that we were trying to capture there is that the reason we love the creative industry is that because it's traditionally been a destination for creative talent. You know, you're surrounded by all these amazing people. It's been 15 years since I worked at Saatchi and Saatchi and my team still catches up three or four times a year. Like it's crazy, it was such an awesome time. If we've traditionally been the destination, what happens when people don't choose mm. us? You know, and, and, and because creativity is our product, you know, and if we're not attracting creative talent, then we've got no product. What you were saying about um, communicating, sorry, I'm circling back to the communicating to the C-suite level is, is that another way of um, creating that empathy for for them in a way, like speaking their language, because this is what they understand, this is how they see their business and translating those those kind of ideas that you're getting um, from the grassroots level mm. all the way up into what they say. Yeah, because I think, well, I still like to believe that CEOs are they're, they're, they're they're humans robots. as well. Yeah, they're <laughs> humans as well. Um, but I do think it's, you know, you're having two sides of the story, right? You're seeing yeah. the emotional impact of yeah. people, but then there's obviously a commercial impact. We know that this industry just accepts these ridiculous rates of turnover that you just mm. wouldn't accept in other industries. Um, and But I think what we don't do is we don't actually really truly pause to understand the costs that that has, um, the commercial costs as well as the, the human cost. Uh, and that's really what we're trying to communicate. Uh, and then the third question we asked them was just really how that makes them feel, right? Because how people feel is so important in terms of the creative process. And I know you've, you've already had a conversation with Professor David Allay, you know, about uh, the role of, say, psychological safety in the creative process and in divergent thinking, for instance. So if people do not feel safe or if they're worried about the people around them and, they, and they're looking around, they're going, literally one in two of us are struggling right now, that's a lot of responsibility to feel that you have to take. And an additional responsibility to looking after yourself. Like, I'm trying to look after myself and I'm, that's hard enough. And now I know that one or two of the people around me are also could use some help. You know, that's, that's a lot that we're pushing on to people. Um, and really, I think this is where all conversations need to start, is like, who's responsible for what? So I guess this was, this was the key message that I wanted um, when we were up at the uh, Hunter Valley to sort of communicate to the CEOs, is that I feel that we all really have one job to do. Um, and as a CEO, it should be your number one focus, and that is to create a culture where creativity and creative people can, can thrive. Mm. Because so the, otherwise we've got nothing. The Hunter Valley was um, quite a big 
milestone for our, our group mm. because that was agency leader symposium. So we had a bunch of, you know, decent sized agencies. Yep. Um, Ashton Media did an awesome job of yeah. putting together. Um, and one of the guys from Ashton, Ashton Media is on our change group as well. So that was that helped to get us in there and grease the wheel. One of the big reasons for going up there was to present the business case, which mm -hmm. we put together, and also launch the minimum standards. Yep. Um, and to try and, you know, a lot of people always do say that change starts at the top. I like to think that it goes, starts at the bottom and the top. Mm. Um, and I think, you know, there's definitely some concerns about just focusing on the, on the top. But you were, you were like our ambassador going up to the Hunter Valley. We sort of sent you out of the trenches first. <laughs> and you went up with Chris and uh, yep. Nina. Um, and you presented what the um, implications of the results of the mentally healthy study were and, and where this might go. Um, how was it received? Because we'd been living with it for about six months before you went up. And so we're yep. all across this and we think about it every day. But then it gets to bang, you slap someone in the face with it as soon as they walk into a room. What, what was that like? So it was an interesting experience overall uh, for me. And I, I, I want to, like I said, I just want to give a little bit of a um, thank you to, to Nina and to Virginia as well from the change room because they really were a big support to me because I'm like, this was a new audience, I guess, in a way, you know, standing up in front of, I think we had about 150 CEOs and MDs and GMs and stuff like that. Sean stuck his neck out on our behalf. <laughs> yeah. I remember, I think we, we recorded a podcast, I think, the week before. And yeah. Oh, yeah. that's right, yeah. Yeah, we had, you were going yeah, up on David. your own yeah. or you were you really kind of had yeah. to take the, take the wheel. Like I, got, I actually got a really good, some coaching actually from a mentor of mine before I went up as well. And, and she sort of said to me, look, I can't, you can't change people, right? All I can do is get up there and do the best job that I can of presenting the information. And what I wanted to do in doing that was was not just present the problem, but show how um, it can actually be solved with the right data and insights in the same way in which we would do for our customers or clients. Um, and, you know, that's been a big part of really why I joined the change group in the first place as well is that, I guess my hope is that creatives solve huge problems all the time, and right. And the only difference here is that in this moment we are the brief, mm. you know. And so my job, I guess, has been providing the insights, essentially, that would form the brief that allow us to actually work out what the right solutions would be. Um, I would say that pretty much every client that I have is burnt out, right? That's why people come come to me, yep. you know? And so I have to be very empathetic in some ways and understanding what they have the capacity to actually take on themselves, yep. right? And often I find myself being way more directive than I would think I would need to be with very, very smart, very, very well-paid people because they just don't have any space, right, to make these other decisions about themselves. They're just giving everything to everything else. I think what, what I would have liked to have seen, but to, you know, acknowledging that, is, a, is it would have been a little bit more, I guess, urgency around this. Um, I think what I presented in the, um, to them was was really the, uh, the vox pop. So I'm like, this is the cost, this is a human cost. You know, if we don't have talent, we've got nothing. The talent that we have is already churning at such huge rates. You know, you're getting people opting out and just opting out. Like not opting out to go to another agency, just saying I'm I'm done. Right? I thought this industry was going to do do it for me, and it hasn't. Mm. Then we've got the actual 
costs in terms of the creative process, um, which David would have talked about, you know, where, you know, David's words were anxiety and depression are crushing for creativity. You know, means Yeah, we sell creativity. Yeah, yeah, and that's our product, right? And so, and it's sort of, for me, I sort of go, wow, imagine if, because when you go that what anxiety is doing is it's meaning that it's shutting down uh, our default mode network, which is our divergent thinking. So we're not going big and bold with our ideas because we don't feel we're too anxious, too that's unsafe essentially to do that. And then with depression, we don't have the energy to actually bring even our best ideas to life. And you think, oh, you could have all these amazing ideas that are literally just left on the table or just no one doesn't have the motivation to even get up and share them, mm. you know? And so that's a huge opportunity as much as, I guess, the risk that we're having. So that was a second part of it. And the third was really just thinking about, I guess, from that lens of, um, I guess, what CEOs are tasked with, which is growth, you know? No CEO's board is saying to them, just, you know, just keep it as it is, <laughs> right? That's fine with us. Just keep, you know, just do... Do exactly what you did last year. Every single CEO's board is saying, we want growth, mm. right? And what we're seeing here is that there is a diminished capacity in this industry to grow um, because of all of these factors. Um, and so the second, and so having, understanding all of that, I guess I wanted to also have, show that we could fix it, right? Because, you know, I've been working with all these amazing brands from you know, Deloitte to um, Facebook and Google and Aon, Intuit, um, ANZ, ABC, like all these great brands that sort of get, get this and are earlier adopters of this thinking. Um, and even the Queensland government I've been working with, like, so, you know, if we can get results in government agencies and, you know, we can do it for that. And what we've been able to show is that by having a different type of conversation with people, because the reason that I focus on energy is because energy is not a scary conversation. Um, and so, and also because I guess when I was looking for resources in my situation, I didn't, everything was about the extreme end. So it was about suicide, depression, anxiety, addiction. I didn't have any of those things. I just had no gas left in my tank mm. and I was just severely burnt out. I knew that I, if I didn't do something about that, I'd be a candidate for those things. Um, and so I'm, I'm trying to focus on not letting, I guess, reducing the number of people that get there in the first place. Yeah, that was that was going to be another question I had around, okay, you get to this point where you've burnt out completely, but that's already too late. Um, the focus on energy makes it feel like it's a bit more positive, so it's it's kind of yeah. stepping it into the right direction. Yeah. Um, but the challenge, I suppose, is getting people to identify when, like before you get to that point, because most of us, totally. like we don't even realize we're burning out until no. it's, um, how are the, what are the sort of tools that you've found in what you do that kind yeah. of help that? Well, that was a big part of me going, what did I miss, right? Because yeah. you don't just wake up one morning and find yourself wandering around David Jones, right? There have to have been warning signs to that. And, and this is where I sort of talk about that high functioning aspect too, because often they're like, um, if you think about like little, death by a thousand cuts essentially like it's just all these little decisions that cumulatively add up where you said oh actually i can just do with four hours sleep tonight right or i'm not going to eat well or i'm not going to exercise you know or i'm just going to i'm not going to deal with that feeling of overwhelm i'm just going to let it keep building me or i'm not going to reach out and connect 
again, this has been part of the journey of this business as well, is creating assessments that allow people to self-identify where they're at today versus where they'd like to be. And then our job is just to help people get from A to B, essentially. But what we're able to see is from that, how many burnout warning signs you already have and how severe they are. Because um, uh, right now we've got like a, we've got a free version of our assessment that has that identifies 11 burnout warning signs that are tied to the World Health Organization classification for burnout. Uh, and each one of those, then I've done a meta-analysis back in terms of the research and their impact on mental well-being. And so there's 11 of them. And uh, like, if you've got eight, like I'm telling you, you're a zombie already, right? Um, and I've got clients where I go in and, um, you know, 30%. It's not, and, and that's actually quite, um, quite well correlated to uh, bigger sort of global studies around the percentage of people burning out too. Is, is one of the things, do you think, one of the challenges the fact that there is, and it's like a lot of things in the news even maybe at the moment, that this sort of, it's seen as such a longer term problem and, you know, like painting the picture of, oh, geez, like nobody might want to join our industry mm. um, versus the shorter term problem of, geez, everyone's leaving right now and I'm not going to be able to run a business. Yeah. Um, is is, is is that part of the challenge that we're facing? And did what, like, what did people say to you when did people come up to you afterwards? Did they say, oh, sure, and you hit the nail on the head there yeah. and uh, glad you brought it up because here's our mental health and wellbeing program and, you know, is that, yeah. is that what suddenly happens? So I think what I will say is, like, we were successful in that presentation, I think, with, the, with one also launching the minimum standards and having in quite a number of agencies brand sign up for that. Um, what I think uh, people need to understand is that doesn't mean they've fixed the problem. No. Right. We're not so, going to policy our way out of this problem. No, and it's like, and this is where you actually need data on your people to understand, yeah. right? So we've said these are the minimum standards, but do you have data that actually gives you an indication of where you sit in terms of having actually achieved that standard right now? Um, and so, uh, I'm actually being asked for, by Umbrella actually to do uh, a thing at ComsCon where I'm actually going to take people through how to construct their wellbeing strategy because what I think is you know, the why and the what are sort of done. Um, there's enough, to, we've done enough talking about it. It's the how is the hard part. Um, and especially because the how needs to be personalized, it's not an off the shelf type thing. You've got a whole bunch of individual humans and then you've got your own individual culture within that. Um, you've got leadership, you know, all of these things need to be working synergistically really to change this within an agency. I was telling Sarah earlier that uh, you got me up and <laughs> dancing, which is part of your job now. Yeah. Um, we didn't, none, neither of us had to wear Lycra. <laughs> no. Um, but you did a, a session with us just before Christmas. So you got the change group in a yeah. room. Yeah. I think with Nina, like Nina sort of, our, she sort of helped put this together. Yes, yeah. yeah. So um, <laughs> it's funny that that's, I'm sure you remember other parts. I know, there's so many amazing well. things that we would have done that day. <laughs> but the, the thing the I remember really most. really stuck when I, made, when I made him feel awkward. Yeah. So, right um, at the beginning of the day, walk into the room. Yeah. And you put on. I put on um, oh. Don't Stop Till You Get Enough. And so we just had a, so, and the, like the reason for this, right, is so, um, uh, is that, just I can't project, I can't 
picture it. You can't I'm trying it. We to. Can, we, can, we could do it. We could redo it here. Um, <laughs> so I, I think coming back to this conversation around energy, right, and how we create change is we have to have different ways in to having people understand why this is important, right? And so um, when I get people up and moving, like as soon as I get them in, the reason I do that is because I want to light up their brains, right? I want them to be present and in the room. And so getting people to do some sort of physical activity, and that's what all of this is about. One of the biggest reframes that, uh, that I'm having people and my clients really think about is we really have to think about our, our mental well-being, right, in terms of what we do and how we turn up, because none of us, and me no longer, now I'm no longer in a structure, but none of us are making money with our biceps, right? We all making money with our brains. That's how we create value. And therefore, what's gonna become a competitive advantage for us and where we need to be really good at is we need to be managing our mental well-being because um, you know, Sarah Montague, who's on the team as well, I love that she just says, you know, if you've got a brain, you're managing your mental health, mm. right? We all need to be doing that. Um, and so often when we're focused on, uh, you know, we've done such a shit job around physical well-being, you know, we're the fifth fattest nation on the planet. Um, and I'm thinking, when I look out there, I see that often a lot of the ways that we're approaching mental well-being are the same ways that we tried to do with physical well-being. And we didn't do that. And we didn't well. do that very well, right? Mm. And so, so for instance, when I'm talking about well-being, I never talk about how you look, mm. right? It's all about how your brain's working. Yeah. That's why you move, not because you want to, you know, get yes. some likes on Instagram, yeah. right? Yeah. Like, that's why you move, because we know that as soon as you move, you're you, it literally only takes 20 minutes of walking. It's not even hugely physical activity that lights up your brain and means that, and research has shown that just that 20 minutes will actually mean that if you were sitting in an exam, you get a higher grade, mm. right? And so these are the, the, the ways, the whys in which we do this are really important in this, this sort of conversation. So the only way to do this was to dance. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that is making it a little bit about, you know, so... Um, that is a, a little bit of the Sean factor on there, obviously, since I did oh. spend 16 years as a dance teacher. You've got to lose your inhibitions as well, right? Yeah. It's, yeah. It's a, no, it was good. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it was a, Do you know what? And um, I was recently at a workshop that Brene Brown ran here in Sydney. and Did she make you dance? Well, she did. I yeah. bet she did. Because yeah. what she talked about is she talks about vulnerability and trust, you know, and these are very important parts of creativity as well. And she says one of the quickest ways to actually build vulnerability and trust in a group is to dance, laugh and sing. You know, it's a leveler, isn't it? Yeah, mm. you know, because, and there's that sort of, you know, and I only make people do it for three minutes, but that's enough, right? Mm. It's just enough to make the point, but it's enough to get everyone in the room. I think that's when I brought up that I've met the founder of Retro Sweat, because oh, yes. we both spoke at an event together. We need to what do is Retro Sweat? We need to, we, in your neck of the woods, actually, eastern suburbs. <laughs> yeah, we're sorry, Hills in Waterloo, but it's basically like 80 style aerobics. So right down do to I have you to, wear. Do I have to wear a neon? Okay, right yeah, down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Neon oh, she sweatpants. wears that just normally yeah. around yeah. the yeah. yeah. I think we might need a, a team outing to that. I don't, I don't mind the idea of that. Yeah. I've got to be honest. So yeah. imagine you're at an event and you hear from her and then you hear from me. It's quite, <laughs> quite a contrast. Yeah. Um, it all comes in all forms. Um, speaking of... Oh, events. actually, sorry. Just to oh, go yeah, back yeah. To, the, to what you did with us. Yes. Mm. Um, there, was, there were a couple of things that I certainly enjoyed. And actually, one of the things was we had our action plan at the end of this. So this was all about getting more energy, more well-being. Um, and, you know, as a group, we should at least be able to do this if we're starting to, um, I guess, advocate for it with other people. 
and you will be pleased to know that the very next day, Sarah and I had a walk around the wharf meeting. We didn't sit in a room. We didn't just sit down here. In fact, now all our meetings are walking around the wharf, and we have one today. We do. But, yeah, unfortunately, it was a bit hazy <laughs> on that first walk around. It probably wasn't that healthy, actually. <laughs> <laughs> um, That's but, yeah, no, and I think they've been great. Like, I actually mm. I quite enjoy this sort of, you know, you're up and you're out, you're thinking better, you're remembering what you wanted to say and go through and all that, that kind of stuff. Totally, totally. And so I think that one of the promises that I make to all my clients when I'm doing a workshop with them is that everything I teach you will not require more time. It just requires you to be more mindful of the habits and rhythms that you've already got mm-hmm. in your life. So, you know, the plan that we left with that day, I showed you, I, I, the plan basically said, here's morning, here's when you arrive at work, here's lunch, here's when you leave work, here's at night, mm-hmm. right? And it's not about necessarily doing all of those things straight away, but just choosing a couple of those to do consistently yeah. as a starting point, right, to give you some, some progress. But all of those things in that plan are scientifically backed. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and so it's, it's, I think for me, it's a way of making that idea of mindfulness more practical as well for people because mindfulness is, at its essence is really just about being present. It doesn't have to be necessarily about your breath or about meditation or things like that. They play a role as well. But if you can just be more mindful about the habits that you have that don't support your well-being overall. So for instance, you know, you're, if you're in a habit of as soon as you wake up, you just grab your phone and go straight into emails or social media. Luckily, I did this morning, otherwise, I wouldn't be here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I woke up and went, Oh, shit, it's 10 past seven. <laughs> <laughs> Holy moly, you made it. You made well good done. time. Well done. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I think that's important as well because sometimes these plans, you know, they can feel like pressure to do more. Yes, yes. Even when you're, when you're overwhelmed and someone you know, you go to the doctor or you go to a psychologist and they go, well, these are the things that you can do to help that. And it just feels like there's yeah. more stuff to have to do. Yes. Whereas baking it into your habits already feels like a much more uh, practical and, you know, you'll get better take up if people totally. don't feel like they have to change their whole lives to add a new Because you'll thing. be surprised how much of our life we live on autopilot. You know, and so, for instance, when we talk about your morning routine, a lot of us have been doing the same morning routine for literally years, right? And you can't even remember what you're doing in between, like you could, in between, say, in a 15-minute span, for instance. So each of those is an opportunity to do something that's a little bit different, that's better supporting your self-care. And also it's not, I think, where we've traditionally gone around well-being is that it's about food and fitness, right? Um, and so... Whereas actually where we need to start is we need to start with sleep and we need to start with water, right? And so basically sleep is the foundation of our, our mental well-being. Headspace even talk about sleep as a sort of a mental health superpower, you know? And then hydration, simply because our bodies are 70% water, our brains are 80 to 85% water. And if we think about this, we want our brain lit up. We want our brain hydrated, right? It's going to be working the way and it's going to be cleaning out the gunk Right, that happens. Um, I think what people, and the research is showing this too now, is that if we're not sleeping enough, if you think about your brain like a, a, a manufacturing plant, right, all the rubbish that happens every day as you're processing doesn't get cleaned out mm. because you're not sleeping enough. And we also know that's also when we're at our most creative, you know, in terms of our deep REM sleep is where we connect insights and ideas. Um, it's also where we embed learning, you know, so we literally, if we're not sleeping enough, we can't actually 
store new memories. You know, and we all need to be learning and adapting and changing to stay relevant, mm. really, as, as, as the world around us just changes so fast. So this is also the point where I want to say a massive thanks because you put, uh, well, you put a lot of effort into the change group, but also recently, uh, just before Christmas, I think you went up to Brisbane or you're planning a trip to Brisbane and you texted me and said, oh, maybe I can go and meet some of the Never Not Creative community. And within two days, we had an event planned and within five days, the event was held yep. in a cafe, which one of our members worked at. Yeah, and big shout out to Young Money. Yeah, and um, <laughs> at Young Money, is that right? Yeah, 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 yeah. yes, on, uh, on Instagram. Yeah. And um, uh, Feli, I think, did a huge job as well in, in kind of getting us uh, in, the, in the right space. And so it was awesome to be able to just have someone go, oh, you know, let's do something. Uh, and that's then mobilised the community and we had, what, 30, 35 people yeah, probably yeah, into the cafe. And you talked about some of the stuff I think you've been talking about now. Um, yeah. And also to a bunch of people that probably don't get the opportunity to you know, speak, I guess, so intimately about some of mm. this, this stuff. How, like, how, was, how was it for you? Well, first event? of all, like, it was amazing just to see the response. Yeah. Right? And I think like this is what we need to say. I think what people are crying out for is practical ways they can build this type of thinking into their lives like so they don't have to go out there and research and it's sort of overwhelming when you just see how much information is out there about well-being in general anyway you know should i be paleo should i be vegan should i be you know keto what should i be doing right you know like that's just for nutrition let alone yeah. all the other stuff right and I'm, on that one i just say just eat more veggies right? <laughs> just start there just eat more veggies and that's a good Drink place water, eat yeah. mostly plants. Yeah. Isn't that basically? Yeah. The... yeah. If you start there, like you're going to be in a good place. Yeah. Um, with with plant based stuff though, like you might find, don't go raw first. Just go with stuff that's still warm because it takes right. less energy for your body to process it. Um, but I think what was great was that we were able to have a conversation. Just do some really practical things. Okay, here's how you can look after your well being. But in looking after your well being, you're looking after your creativity, and that's your passion. You know, that's what is your, um, you know, I'm talking more and more uh, with my clients about competitive advantage. And really that comes down to two things. It's like creativity first. If I don't have creativity, I don't stand out, mm -hmm. right? Why am I unique? Why would someone choose me? Even at a personal level, why would someone choose me over someone else? At a brand, it's the same thing. Am I distinctive? You know, am I memorable? Because if they don't remember me, <laughs> then you can spend a shitload of money on media and all that sort of stuff, but you're not memorable, not distinctive. Mm. no one's going to buy you, right? But the thing that underpins that is capacity. I need to have the capacity to be creative, to learn, to adapt, to collaborate, you know, all of those, to understand, you know, all of those things that are really, really hard if we don't have enough gas in our tanks. Having said all of that, um, what are your plans for the year? What have, have you got any top tips that you'd like to share with the community? Yeah, so I think... Uh, I think I'll come back to that idea of competitive advantage, right? So looking after yourself, there's four elements that I think that are so intertwined in terms of our personal performance as well. Um, the first one is, is thinking about how are the decisions that I'm making actually impacting my mental well-being, right? So right down to sleep, the food I'm eating, the movement I'm getting, you know, do, am, I, am I passionate about what I do? You know, and this really becomes about self-awareness you know, because you're going, what decisions am I making? Because ultimately we're responsible for ourselves, right? 
um, we, that was my big learning at Telstra. I couldn't change Telstra. I, I loved my job. I had to change myself. Mm. So taking more responsibility for that. Um, the second part is about productivity, right? So do I get shit done, right? And not procrastinate and keep moving forward and all those sorts of things. Someone told me the other day about the grit scale. Have mm. you heard of this? No. So it's basically how good you are at sticking to the task mm. Mm. no matter what comes up. Yeah, perseverance, yeah. yeah. So um, so being able to, yeah, so being able to get through the challenge, right, because there is, um, I, I mean, I, I think like this has been probably the biggest thing with my own entrepreneur journey is like, this is like the fucking hardest thing I've ever done in my life is trying to build a business and you have to be focused on, like you can procrastinate on big stuff or you can just say, what can I do right now? Mm. Right? And so um, what, what our, what employees are buying from us? Are they buying creativity and they're buying people that get shit done, right? And produce something. Um, then it's about, um, so that's sort of like on the capacity side and then on the creativity side, um, you have to think about where original ideas come from, right? And so that for me is really comes back to inclusion. So it's like, how am I doing a better job at understanding people, things, experiences that are different or from what I would normally do? Right? Because I think when we get out of our bubble, that's when we get new ideas, right? Or we see the links between things, mm. you know, um, and that, like that was what I've always sort of seen for me as sort of a, a superpower is like I've just always been sort of a strategist in a way because I just sort of see connections because I'm just curious, you know, um, and that sort of is really about the, the last thing, which is like, what are you doing to invest in your creative muscle, I call it, and so... Um, creativity is one part, right? So the applying, applied creativity, but there are also other strengths which are strongly related, uh, correlated to, to creativity. So they're things like um, uh, they're things like curiosity, right? So getting out there and exploring new things. They're things like bravery. You know, am I sharing my boldest idea? Um, they're things like um, perseverance is actually one of them as well. So can I stick through? So even when we're in flow, sometimes it's, you know, you're sort of stuck, mm. you know, and then you sleep on it and you're like, oh, that's what, I, what it was, right? Like mm. we can do that for ourselves. Um, zest is a big one because mood is so important in the creative process. And that's why like in the, you know, we, we, we joke, we call that experience that we did with the Mentally Health Change Group, happy endings, right? Because it's all about how do we boost the natural neurochemicals in our body around dopamine, oxytocin, serotonin, um, and endorphins that actually, that actually create a heightened mood that means that we're, we're, we're going to be way more creative when we're positive. Um, and then the last strength that's related to creativity is around judgment and critical thinking. And that again is about sort of getting out there and being able to take a wide number of views, I guess. And it's that whole idea of being maybe having a strong opinion, but loosely held, <laughs> you yeah. know, and just going, okay, well, I feel that there's something here. There's an insight here or something like that. How can I go out and really, you know, instead of just like saying, oh, I found it, you know, go out there and really make sure that you've tested that, that hypothesis essentially is, as a truth, you know? And I think if we could do all, all of those things for ourselves, look after our mental well-being, get shit done, look after our creative muscle, go out there and, and, and look for different points of view, different people, you know, to learn from, then, um, then I think, we're, you know, we're in a really great place um, to, to stand out, right, to have our yeah. own X Factor. Mm. Cool. Well, yeah. 
we are at about time. So unlike some of our guests who shy away from social media, <laughs> uh, Sean does not. So I'm very awkward on social media though. But where can we find, where can people find you? Because I think right. yeah, you're pretty awkward on. <laughs> on social media? Yeah. Oh, thanks. <laughs> no, but like you just have a bit of a love hate. Yeah, I dip in and out. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so I would say that actually, I'm going to go a bit old school. I'm like, if you if you're interested in more about any of it, just email me. Lovely. Right, Sean at I was wondering. I was wondering if how old school you were going to go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> send me. Send me. A oh, fax. you send me a text. Send me. A, send me. Yeah, by carrier that. pigeon. You know. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> not not that old school, but. But I think, and then I think where I'm probably most active is actually really on LinkedIn. LinkedIn. Mm. Um, uh, just because that's like I'm trying to, you know, I'm trying to have this conversation with decision makers probably. that have the ability to actually make things better for a significant number of people. And so I, I tend to sort of focus there as, mm. as, as my audience. Um, but uh, if you, yeah, if you email me, um, what, actually, what we might do for this as well is I'll, I'll share a couple of links in terms of there's a free energy assessment yes. yeah. um, that we do, uh, which will also take you a whole bunch of content around how to look after yourself. Um, and then the second thing I'll share as well is a link to character strengths assessment. It's a free positive psychology tool that we did with the change group as well. Um, but that will help you sort of work out where your naturally your sort of creative bench strength is. You know, do I need to invest a little bit more in my curiosity? Because if you think about strengths, it's like anything you're not going to get big biceps if you don't go to the gym right we're going to think about our creativity the same way we're going to exercise that to get better at it we did this great exercise where literally uh monty and i were sat opposite each other telling each other how great we were it was, <laughs> it was nice felt good and you are yeah no well thank you and you are as well <laughs> uh, it's not often you get you well you never do it do you it's not a, no. not a natural thing to no. just sit down and go mm. how great each other is. yeah and i think we've got to understand that we have a big creativity blocker in Australia, which is called the tall poppy syndrome, yeah. you know? And so not actually owning our strengths and what makes us unique, you know, and being able to articulate that is, is really important because just from a practical point of view, what we did in that thing means that, you know, if you get in, say you get a fire brief, you know, and you got a whole bunch and you just got whoever could be there, using something like that, you quickly ascertain what the strengths are in the room. Do we have any blind spots? You know, mm. so it comes very practical mm. as well in terms of the diversity that you might have to approach a problem or a brief. Mm. So, uh, so everything, yeah, everything that I focus on is just making it really something that you can apply straight away to both to your personal life, but also to your professional. Cool. Well, thanks for coming on and uh, sharing that with us. It was fun. Thank you. Yeah, no, thanks. Definitely. I'm interested in seeing those resources as well it could be really helpful yeah fantastic yeah where can we find us ah nvr not creative or how do you thanks for spelling that i know just thinking just in case you don't know how to spell not k-n-o-t yes then i was oh god should i spell creative or no anyway it's harder than not put you on the spot at instagram and twitter you sure did um and email Sean. Did we get the email address? So Sean at so e n e r g x dot com dot au, um, and the socials just about there. We are at EnergyX both on Facebook and on Instagram as well. And great. And thanks to Streamtime. Uh, so Streamtime is project management for the creative industry for future thinking businesses. Um, they support a lot of what we do. We're in the office right now. 
lot of our time um, that goes to Never Not Creative is, is supported by Streamtime. And we will be back in a couple of weeks. Thank you. Awesome. Thanks, guys. Thank you.